Chapter Fourteen, Part One of Twenty Years of the Republic, eighteen eighty five to nineteen hundred five, by Harry Thurston Peck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Last Years of President McKinley, Part One. Peace negotiations between the United States and Spain were conducted and concluded in Paris by representatives of the two nations. Note one, page six hundred three from october first until early in december the sessions continued at first harmoniously but later with so great a divergence of opinion as to threaten an end of all discussion and a renewal of the war note two page six hundred three the abandonment of cuba and puerto rico was of course expected and was granted by the spanish envoys as was also the cession of the united states of the island of guam one of the ladrones group over which the american flag had been raised by the charleston on its voyage to manila note three page six hundred three but there were two questions over which the controversy was long and bitter spain wished the united states in taking cuba to assume the whole or part of the cuban debt the american plenipotentiaries absolutely refused to agree to any such arrangement this debt had been incurred by spain in her efforts to crush the cubans in their revolt against oppression a revolt which americans had justified and applauded and which had at last compelled the united states to intervene in cuba spain must therefore still bear the burden which her own unwisdom had imposed upon her and to this her envoys in the end reluctantly agreed but the crucial question was that which related to the philippines were these islands to be handed back to spain in their integrity would the united states retain perhaps a single island as a naval station or finally would the whole archipelago pass into the possession of that western power whose flag already floated proudly over the captured city of manila where lay its victorious ships of war and about which was encamped its triumphant soldiery spain's representatives at paris were intensely earnest in their plea that the island should be restored to the sovereignty of their king the war they urged was begun because of cuba the surrender of cuba ought therefore logically to satisfy the demands of the united states hostilities in the philippines had been merely an incident of the war and to exact from spain the surrender of even a portion of the archipelago would be unreasonable and oppressive such was the spanish view in the united states public opinion exhibited a gradual and very interesting change which was reflected in the policy of the government and therefore in the attitude of the american negotiators at paris during the period of actual warfare there had been no general wish to acquire asiatic territory such a thing was opposed to all the national traditions and to the national habits of thought few persons knew or cared anything about those distant islands but when the question was presented sharply to the popular intelligence it crystallized itself into the problem of accepting one of several definite lines of policy if the american forces were to be withdrawn this action would not in reality restore the status quo ante it would not re-establish spain's authority that authority had been irretrievably lost the destruction of spanish prestige and the weakening of spain's resources by the war had given to the filipino insurrection such an impetus as made it clear that spain could never reconquer even the precarious hold upon the islands which she had possessed before the battle of manila her envoys at paris tacitly admitted this when they asked the united states not only to recognize spain's sovereignty but to restore it by the use of military force note four page six hundred five hence the mere withdrawal of the american army from manila would lead only to a bloody and protracted civil war of which the outcome would doubtless be the cession of the philippines by spain to one of the great powers note five 
page six hundred five perhaps and very probably to germany with what favour the american people would view such an issue of the affair it is unnecessary to explain the insolence of von diederich at manila was only just becoming known in the united states and the popular resentment which it excited forbade any line of action from which germany might reap advantage to take a single island and restore the rest to spain note six page six hundred five was open to the same objection still more forcibly presented for then there would be created a far distant american possession partly surrounded and continuously menaced by a hostile neighbour but why not give the islands over to aguinaldo and let him rule them as a philippine republic this course would have exactly paralleled what the united states proposed to do in cuba if cuba were for the cubans why not the philippines for the filipinos such a solution was not regarded as necessarily impossible but president mckinley and his advisers were not yet convinced that aguinaldo could be trusted to maintain a form of government under which the lives and property of foreigners would be properly safeguarded too little was known of the filipinos to warrant the unqualified committal to them of so great a trust aguinaldo himself had already impressed the americans at manila most unfavorably he had drawn his followers off into separate cantonments and was maintaining an attitude of sullen unfriendliness toward the american commanders his followers made no secret of their intention to kill every spaniard whom they should capture it would indeed be taking a serious responsibility to surrender the control of civilized towns and cities to men of mixed breeds whom admiral dewey characterized as passionate semi-savages hence as the weeks wore on the duty of the president became every day more clear to him the ultimate disposal of the philippines was still an open question but the determination of that question must lie with the united states and must be reached in accordance with the dictates both of political wisdom and of humanity the demand was therefore made that spain cede the islands unreservedly to the united states which would in turn and by way of a solarium pay into the spanish treasury a sum of money to be afterwards agreed upon the spanish envoys in paris were moved to strong emotion by this demand note seven page six hundred seven with passionate castilian eloquence they argued against the right of the united states to ask this of them with their plea all europe sympathized here was seen the passing of an old and gallant nation a kingdom which had once ruled half the world and whose chivalry had been the pride of christendom but which was now suing hopelessly for grace at the hands of a raw republic of the new world even americans could feel the pathos of that moment yet spain had no choice except submission she could not continue fighting even if she would her treasury was bankrupt her armies beaten her ships destroyed not one of the european powers that wished her well dared go beyond mere words to show its friendship and so with unspeakable bitterness of heart but with that grave dignity which the spaniard has inherited from the moor the envoys of queen christina accepted the inevitable on december tenth the treaty of paris was signed and the united states became the possessor of cuba of puerto rico of guam and of the philippine islands in return for the cession of the philippines spain was to receive the sum of twenty million dollars note eight page six hundred seven the islands conquered from spain were not the only new possessions acquired by the united states at this time after the battle of manila bay the little republic of hawaii had openly violated international law in order to show its friendliness to the american cause american ships of war were allowed to take on coal at honolulu and in fact to make of that port a naval base 
the new importance of hawaii from a strategic point of view became so obvious that a strong sentiment for annexation was created in the united states the hawaiian congress invited a union of the two countries and this was actually effected on president mckinley's recommendation by joint resolution of both houses note nine page six hundred eight a later act of congress april thirty nineteen hundred made hawaii a fully organized territory and declared its citizens to be citizens of the united states to the new territory were extended the general provisions of the constitution and laws of the united states the first governor of hawaii was mr s b dole who had been president ever since the overthrow of queen liliuokalani in eighteen ninety two note ten page six hundred eight the american people regarded the immense expansion of their national responsibilities resulting from the spanish war with a certain proud self-confidence that was characteristic of their robust optimism while many may have shared the feeling of president mckinley that these new obligations were to be assumed as a solemn duty which circumstances and considerations of humanity had forced upon the united states it is likely that americans as a whole took a much less philosophic view the brilliancy of their achievements in the war had quickened their imaginations and greatly broadened out their aspirations and ambitions to rule distant lands to hold colonies and dependencies to have their country figure largely on the vast stage of international affairs appealed to their national love of bigness when foreign writers and some native pessimists declared the united states incompetent to administer distant possessions note eleven page six hundred nine this only piqued the pride of most americans and made them eager to accept the challenge it was really the instinct for national growth the ambition for new achievement which now like a flame was fanned by the spirit of successful conquest nor was the phenomenon a new one it was as old as the american colonies themselves as the sturdy pioneers had hewn their way through the forests and subdued the indians as their descendants had crossed the mountains and then traversed the great western plains as they had secured the louisiana territory from france and wrested an empire on the pacific from mexico so now in an even more magnificent westward sweep they passed beyond the limits of the encircling ocean and set their standard in the islands of the sea it was inevitable because it was in the blood of the race mr seward many years before had expressed a vital truth and uttered a boldly pregnant sentence when he said popular passion for territorial aggrandizement is irresistible prudence justice cowardice may check it for a season but it will gain strength by its subjugation it behooves us to qualify ourselves for our mission we must dare our destiny note twelve page six hundred nine and a foreign political philosopher von holst had observed with equal truth it is as easy to bid a ball that has flown from the mouth of a gun to stop in its flight and return on its path as to terminate a successful war of conquest by a voluntary surrender of all conquests because it has been found that the spoil will be a source of dissension at home note thirteen page six ten that the questions raised by the war would cause dissension was of course to be expected while hostilities were actually in progress fractional strife had been hushed both republicans and democrats had strongly favored intervention in cuba and the initial war measures had received the unanimous approval of congress note fourteen page six ten mr bryan himself had accepted the colonelcy of a nebraska regiment which remained under arms until peace was thoroughly assured but no sooner had the treaty of paris been laid before the senate for ratification january fourth eighteen ninety nine than the lines of cleavage between the two great parties became again apparent 
the democratic leader senator gorman opposed the treaty because as he said it practically annexed the philippines to the united states in this opposition he was followed by nearly all his party associates and by two eminent republican senators mr hoare of massachusetts and mr hale of maine the philippine clauses of the treaty were highly obnoxious to a small but very active body of citizens in new england who became known as anti-imperialists or in contemporaneous political slang as antis an association calling itself the anti-imperialist league was formed in boston and began an active propaganda directed against the establishment of a colonial system by the united states the anti-imperialists urged that to acquire foreign possessions by conquest and to hold them by force in the position of colonial dependencies was unconstitutional a departure from the traditions of the american government and in itself criminal and unjust note fifteen page six eleven senator hoare would have had the president yield the control of the islands to the rule of aguinaldo which he declared represented the will of the filipinos many of the old-time abolitionists took the same view and said that any other course would be oppressive and tyrannical but president mckinley pending a final disposition of the question had by proclamation on january five eighteen ninety nine ordered general e s otis to extend the military rule of the united states over the whole of the philippine islands the american army in the far east was steadily augmented until it numbered nearly fifty thousand men and the war department planned a still further increase this action moved the anti-imperialists to bitter denunciation of the president as a military despot who was bent upon crushing out the liberties of a free people americans then became divided into expansionists called by their adversaries imperialists and anti-expansionists or anti-imperialists for a time it seemed as though the treaty of paris might be rejected by the senate for while the republicans had a bare majority a two-thirds vote was necessary for the ratification of the treaty the discussion was prolonged and often animated when the day arrived for the final vote february sixth the result still seemed more than doubtful sixty votes were needed for ratification and only fifty-eight were surely pledged three o'clock was the hour that had been set and at half-past two the administration still lacked one vote this was finally secured only after the hour of three had struck and while the roll was actually being called the expansionists had won note sixteen page six twelve the result was due in part to the attitude of mr bryan who had used his personal influence in urging the acceptance of the treaty mr bryan very wisely held that peace with spain should be formally and speedily assured and that the united states might fitly assume the temporary control of the philippines but he agreed with the anti-imperialists in believing that the islands should ultimately be independent after the united states as a guardian power should have effected the creation in them of a stable government it was however aguinaldo himself who worked most effectively against an immediate recognition of filipino independence his oriental vanity had already obscured his natural intelligence he styled himself dictator of the philippines and assumed the airs of an eastern potentate decorating his person with various insignia of rank and decreeing to himself with childish delight a golden whistle as a badge of supreme authority all this was unimportant though characteristic but on january twentieth the body which styled itself the congress of the filipino republic then in session at malolos aguinaldo's capital authorized him at his discretion to make war upon the american forces in the island of luzon on february fourth two days before the senate voted on the treaty of paris 
aguinaldo's armed levies tried to rush the american lines under cover of darkness the filipinos were hurled back with heavy loss yet they returned again and again to the attack fighting steadily until daybreak by that time general otis had the situation well in hand and ordered an advance which drove the filipinos from the immediate vicinity of manila the news of this encounter very naturally hardened the hearts of the american people against abandoning the philippines to a declared enemy and the ratification of the treaty was undoubtedly helped by aguinaldo's wanton act of violence only the extreme among the anti-imperialists applauded him as a hero and a patriot soon afterwards the filipino congress ordered the assassination of all foreigners residing in manila and an effort was made to burn the city both attempts were thwarted by the vigilance of the american commanders though with a certain poetic justice the plot to burn manila did result in wiping out the purely filipino section of that city from this time there was waged a desultory and protracted warfare an account of which does not lie within the scope of the present narrative suffice it to say that the filipinos after successive and severe defeats in open battle betook themselves to a species of jungle fighting marked by treachery and at times by savage acts which often drove the american soldiers into harsh reprisals the reports of these regrettable occurrences were eagerly caught up in the united states and were grossly exaggerated by the opponents of imperialism a commission appointed by the president in january eighteen ninety nine note seventeen page six thirteen to investigate conditions in the philippines made a report in november of the same year note eighteen page six thirteen in essence it justified the course of the administration and made it plain that aguinaldo's following represented only a comparatively small part of the heterogeneous population of the philippines it was the report of this commission no less than the violence of aguinaldo's soldiery which convinced president mckinley that the united states must for some time at least assume the full responsibility of governing the philippines the very first necessity was the restoration of order by military force in his message of december five eighteen ninety eight the president had asked congress to increase the regular army to one hundred thousand men his request was met by an increase of the regular establishment to sixty five thousand men note nineteen with permission to enlist thirty five thousand volunteers for service until july first nineteen hundred one note twenty nineteen and twenty page six fourteen the army in the philippines was thereupon augmented to more than sixty thousand troops and all local authority was vested ultimately in the president who exercised it through his military commanders this on the face of it seemed to many the rankest kind of imperialism and mr mckinley was denounced unsparingly as a despot who ruled over conquered millions through satraps and by the terror of his bayonets yet nothing could have been further from the truth president mckinley's own cast of mind and the character of his whole public life inclined him in all things to take the civilian's point of view and it was really by an ingenious interpretation of his military prerogatives that he ultimately worked out a scheme for the non-military administration of the philippines through his constitutional powers as commander-in-chief he was for the present governing the conquered islands by martial law technically his powers were military powers and thus they merged in one person executive judicial and legislative functions the president's purpose however as ultimately set forth in a remarkable message to congress note twenty one page six fifteen provided for a separation of these functions and for their exercise by different individuals as it is well settled that the military power of the president may be exercised through civil agents 
it was determined that the part of the military power which was legislative in its character should be exercised by civil agents proceeding in accordance with legislative forms while the judicial power should be exercised by particular establishments and regulated by the enactments of legislative authority note twenty two page six fifteen under this plan the way was prepared for a gradual change from military to civil methods of administration note twenty three page six fifteen the first definite step toward this end was the appointment of a second commission april seventh nineteen hundred of five gentlemen headed by judge w h taft of ohio who were directed to develop in the philippines a system which should give to the people of the islands the largest measure of self-government which they were fitted to exercise it may be said here by way of anticipation that on july fourth nineteen hundred one civil government took in part the place of military rule judge taft becoming civil governor with a council and a supreme court in which native filipinos were represented just one year from that date july fourth nineteen hundred two the president by proclamation declared the islands pacified and subject thereafter to the civil authorities alone to subdue the insurrection had cost the united states nearly one hundred seventy million dollars the cession of puerto rico to the united states under the treaty of paris raised some interesting constitutional questions for a few months following the close of the war military government continued in that island but in his annual message of december third eighteen ninety nine president mckinley recommended the establishment of civil rule what however was the legal status of puerto rico was it an integral part of the united states if so then the constitution and laws of the united states must already be enforced there and the inhabitants of puerto rico must be already citizens of the united states this point was brought out sharply in a debate over the question of applying the dingley tariff act to imports into the united states from puerto rico the president himself declared our plain duty is to abolish all custom tariffs between the united states and puerto rico but the representatives of the protected interests in congress took alarm at this sentence especially did the agents of the sugar trust dislike it since their masters dreaded competition from the puerto rican sugar growers congress debated the question at great length while considering the so-called foraker bill providing a system of civil government for puerto rico the democrats crystallized their view in the much quoted words the constitution follows the flag but they and the few republicans who agreed with them were outvoted and the foraker bill as enacted treated puerto rico as being neither a state nor a territory but a possession of the united states acquired by the treaty-making power and one which could be incorporated into the united states only by act of congress note twenty four page six sixteen hence for the time being a tariff was laid upon goods imported from puerto rico thus the president was overruled and the country witnessed the anomalous spectacle of the supreme champion of protectionism pleading for free trade and being flouted by his own party which was in this case plus royaliste que le roi the foraker act note twenty five page six seventeen in its final form gave to puerto rico an appointive governor an executive council composed half of americans and half of puerto ricans but chosen by the president and finally a house of delegates elected by the people of the island note twenty six page six seventeen the relations of the united states with cuba were of course different in essence from those with the other territories ceded by spain in the resolutions of congress april nineteenth eighteen ninety eight which had declared that the people of cuba were and of right ought to be free and independent the following explicit assertion had been made 
the united states hereby disclaims any disposition or intention to exercise sovereignty jurisdiction or control over said island except for the pacification thereof and asserts its determination when that is accomplished to leave the government and control of the island to its people note twenty seven page six seventeen in the face of this unqualified and spontaneous pledge it was clear that the united states was bound by every possible obligation of honour to give over to the cuban people the full and free control of their own political destinies nevertheless there were not a few americans who made light of this solemn promise the nation had experienced in fact a certain revulsion of feeling as to the cubans who not long before had been extravagantly lauded as patriots and heroes close contact with them during the war had not tended to perpetuate this admiration and respect american soldiers in cuba found the ragged levies of garcia and gomez to be worthless as allies in the field and not altogether agreeable as near companions the one military operation entrusted to them they had failed utterly to accomplish note twenty eight page six eighteen for the rest they seemed to the hardy vigorous fighters of the north more like a swarm of enervated mendicants than a host of heroes struggling to be free they accepted as a matter of course all that was given them they flocked into the camps when rations were served out and they were conspicuously absent when the rifle balls were singing hence there was little enthusiasm in the united states in response to the cry of cuba for the cubans many newspapers advocated the annexation of cuba to the united states they spoke of the resolutions of congress as a mere sentimental outburst devoid of any binding force they asserted and with some truth that those who represented the moneyed interests in cuba and the foreign residents as well would much prefer american to cuban government fortunately however president mckinley took no heed of such sophistical arguments as these for weal or for woe the honor of the nation had been plighted and cuba must be left to the enjoyment of political independence hence it was decided temporarily to occupy the island until certain reforms could be effected and after that to permit the formation of a cuban republic general john r brooke was appointed military governor of cuba from the close of the war until the end of eighteen ninety nine when he was succeeded by general leonard wood during the american occupation note twenty nine page six nineteen remarkable improvements were made in the cuban legal system in the government of its municipalities in its sanitation and in the sphere of public education on november five nineteen hundred a constitutional convention assembled in havana and framed an organic law upon the model of the united states constitution the american congress however was not willing to grant the independence of cuba without first receiving certain definite guarantees for the protection of american interests an amendment to an army appropriation bill was offered by senator platt of connecticut demanding that the cubans embody in their constitution the following pledges one that no foreign power be permitted to control any part of cuban territory two that the cuban government incur no debt not justified by its revenues and three that the united states be permitted to establish naval stations in cuban waters and to maintain by force if necessary the independence of the island the platt amendment as it was called excited much bitterness of feeling among the cubans and many americans denounced it as ungenerous and unnecessary public sentiment however sustained it the united states had made immense sacrifices on behalf of cuba and it was fully justified in demanding some equivalent especially since the demands were in the main of advantage to cuba no less than to the united states 
hence after a long debate the cuban convention accepted the terms of the platt amendment and made them a part of the constitution which was finally adopted june twelfth nineteen hundred one the last and supreme burst of exultation over the achievements of the war was seen in the magnificent reception given to admiral dewey upon his return to the united states on september twenty eighth eighteen ninety nine the admiral in his now historic flagship the olympia and escorted by three battleships and ten other vessels of war arrived in new york harbor no american not even washington himself had ever received so marvellous a welcome for more than a year dewey had been the object of a nation's idolatry his was the first as it was the most thrilling victory of the war and his diplomatic tact his calm good sense his firm will and his imperturbable bearing in the face of german insolence had won for him the admiration of all his countrymen even of those who had little sympathy with the war itself and so on september thirtieth under a cloudless sky and in the warm autumn sunshine the admiral received in the city of new york a greeting comparable to a roman triumph the metropolis was one mass of vivid flags a superb triumphal arch with long lines of venetian masts had been erected across the most famous of its thoroughfares more than two million people were massed along the line of march up which the admiral and his officers were escorted by thirty thousand troops and greeted by a continuous outburst of frantic cheering men and women springing eagerly to their feet to give an exultant welcome to the man who had so brilliantly perpetuated the traditions of bainbridge and decatur and perry and farragut and foot at night the entire sea-coast blazed for miles with coloured fires while every vessel in the harbour was strung with lights it was the apotheosis of american valour note thirty page six twenty one this pageant was only the first of many others in which the admiral was the central figure every great city in the land sent delegations to him begging him to become the people's guest congress revived for him the office of admiral which had heretofore been held only by farragut and porter it was provided also that he need not retire when he reached the age prescribed by law for such retirement and that even after doing so of his own volition his emoluments should not be diminished admiral dewey was far more fortunate than many of the other officers who served their country with distinction in the war when the fighting had actually ceased something like a reaction of feeling swept over the entire country after all when compared with many other conflicts the war with spain from a military point of view had not been a very great one that the united states with its enormous wealth its teeming population and its vigorous youth should defeat a decrepit and almost bankrupt kingdom was not a matter for excessive wonderment and exultation individual exploits such as that of dewey deserved the full measure of admiration which they received but for the rest popular enthusiasm had gone too far and a reaction was inevitable this was strengthened by some unpleasant incidents and revelations which followed hard upon the fighting the record of the war department was one which filled americans with chagrin and something like disgust a commission appointed by the president in december eighteen ninety eight brought out many facts that were most discreditable and that led to personal controversies between various officers of high rank major-general miles charged that much of the food furnished to the troops in cuba was not only unpalatable but unwholesome large quantities of refrigerated beef purchased from the beef trust had been dispatched to cuba and this beef was said to have been treated with chemicals which made it nauseous and even poisonous general miles using a phrase current in the army described it as embalmed beef 
for this he was attacked in terms of foul vituperation by the commissary-general charles p egan who wrote a letter to general miles note thirty one page six twenty two couched in such language as to prevent its publication egan was court-martialed and sentenced to dismissal from the service note thirty two page six twenty two but the investigating committee also censured general miles its final report was what is popularly known as a whitewashing report but the country formed its own opinion of the discreditable facts made public during the investigation and many sneers were heard in foreign countries over the alleged corruption and inefficiency of the american war department thus the london saturday review remarked editorially there is a figure of the american eagle over the war office in washington with slight alteration it might be made into a reminiscence of the war it would not take much to change it from the figure of an eagle into that of a vampire unpelican-like feeding on its own children who under a strange delusion and not realizing the nature of their frankenstein mother are content to sweat and groan under the most heartlessly tyrannical government on earth the tyranny of democracy note thirty three page six twenty two and the st james gazette of london observed before the americans make up their minds definitely to extend the empire of the united states it may be as well for them to realize how they have managed an army in their own country and the adjacent islands during the late crisis after the glamour of victory has passed the scandals in their war department have proved a very unpleasant reverse to patriotic citizens and the worst of it is that the congressmen who ought to make a strict inquiry form themselves a large part of the scandal they naturally shrink from investigating End of chapter 14, part 1